Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of the PD Smash Podcast. Today, we have a great one for you, Smash fans. First, we're going to talk about LaMarcus Aldridge retiring. After that, we're going to talk about James Harden's injury. Then, we're going to talk about a few teams that I believe are either contenders or pretenders in the NBA. And then finally, we're going to round out the show with some NFL talk. Again, thank you so much for coming, Smash fans. And without further ado, cue that intro. They can say what they want now. Because we'll be screaming now. We can be heroes everywhere we go. As I said, the first thing I wanted to talk about was LaMarcus Aldridge's retirement. When I first heard about his retirement, I was quite sad. Because LaMarcus Aldridge has been one of the premier players in the NBA for a long time up into this past the past couple of years. And it's always sad to see one of the great players in the NBA go. However, the more and more I thought about it, the better and better I felt about it. Because at least he got to live a full life and full career in terms of basketball. There are a lot of players like Brandon Roy who had to quit early because of injury. But because this happened to LaMarcus very late in his career, he was still able to put on an absolute show for us. There was no what if with LaMarcus. And even though he still had a few good years left in him, it's, it's sad to see him go. I'm very thankful for the time we did have with him. And I really do hope that he gets better and that his heart murmur sorts itself out. But I am so grateful for the time that we did get to spend watching LaMarcus and all the great moments that LaMarcus Aldridge had, both as a Portland Trailblazer and as a Spur. There are so many things that LaMarcus Aldridge was able to accomplish during his career And it was amazing to watch him. And I do believe that he was a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. I don't think that he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I do believe that when it's all said and done, he is going to reach the Hall of Fame. And that is really an amazing sight. It really is. And I'm so grateful for the time we did have with him, as I already said. And we should really be celebrating the career he'd had. He did have not thinking the what-ifs, because even though he was a good player, there was he did not have too much left in the tank at this point. So he was able to live a full career. I keep saying live, but he was able to play a full career, I should say. And that is extremely valuable, and we should cherish that as we move forward. Next, I wanted to talk about the James Harden injury and the impact that's going to have on the Nets, but also the league in general. Because even though he won't be out for the playoffs, Russ does have a factor in the playoffs. If you've not played before the playoffs and you just get thrown into playoff basketball, it's very hard to acclimate quickly. We saw that with Russell Westbrook last 
year in the bubble when he was coming back from his injuries, and ever and it took him a while to get back in the swing of the things when he was in the bubble playoffs, and that's only gonna be accentuated more with James Harden because you're now moving a lot. You're now in different places. You're now in different stadiums. There's more travel time, so that's more fatigue on your body. And not being in basketball shape or close to it for a stretch of time is going to affect him come playoff time. And I think it will be good when he's all said and done because I don't believe they'll face anyone until the second round that really matters. But it does beg the question of if the Brooklyn Nets are going to be able to gel correctly and in time. Because even though they've had such a great season so far, there's rarely been any time where James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie have played on the same team at the same time. I think it's it's something insane. Like It's less than 20 games from the last time I checked. It may even be less than 15. So only having like 15 games to play together before the end of the season and before playoff times, that's pretty major, especially when you're trying to build chemistry and you're trying to build camaraderie. And I believe that might affect the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. And I believe this will also open the door a little more to the two other contenders in that conference with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks being able to inch closer as now that James Harden is not meshed properly with the other two, it's going to make it easier to defend because even though they're all three lethal scorers, and I mean lethal scorers, it matters more that they're not gelled together and they're going to be individual players more than a team unit, and that is easier to defend, even if it is slightly and both the 76ers and the Milwaukee Bucks have the personnel to be able to guard them one-on-one and slow them down a little not like anything major because it's Kevin Durant Kyrie and James Harden but they can give them some trouble so I think that Kyrie KD and James Harden are going to be affected by this and I believe it's going to decrease their chances of making the finals. However, I think in the end it's not going to matter too much as I do believe they're going to make the finals. However, I did have them winning the finals earlier this season, a couple games ago, probably I'd say like 5-10 games ago. Now I wouldn't say they're going to win the finals. I think I would give that to whoever comes out of the West, whether that be the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Suns. So overall, I do think this is a interesting dilemma that the Nets are going to face, and I think it's going to hurt them in the long run. And it's also going to hurt them with seeding because KD likes to take a lot of rest days, especially coming back from his Achilles injury. So I do believe that that is going to affect their seeding and they could drop to four or five and that's going to make the road tougher for them as they move throughout the playoffs and it's going to make them lose home court advantage in the later rounds if my predictions of the 76ers and Milwaukee Bucks are correct. Now I want to talk about a few 
NBA teams and whether or not I believe they are pretenders or contenders. I have three listed down here, but we might go through some more depending on how long it takes to get through each team. So first up, I have the Nuggets. And the Nuggets are a really interesting one because even though they did lose Jamal Murray, Jokic is still playing as if he is a top five player in the NBA right now. Michael Porter Jr. is blossoming more and more and becoming a more consistent scorer. And then Aaron Gordon has been a great addition to this team and I believe has raised its floor and its ceiling high. So even though Jamal Murray is out, I do think the Nuggets have a good chance against anybody in a series. However, I wouldn't consider them a contender because of how important Jamal Murray was to that team. Jamal Murray really is the best Robin to Nikola Jokic's Batman that I can think of in terms of fit. Because everything that Jamal Murray does, other than defense, is complements Nikola Jokic perfectly. He's not that ball-dominant of a point guard, but he can still handle and play make. He is a good shooter. He can create his own shot, but he also plays really well off-ball. And he is really great cutting and going off screens, as well as just playing off other players. And I think that's going to be really hard to replace come playoff time, especially if you get even half of Bubble Murray as long as he stayed consistent, if you get half of Bubba Murray who stayed and he stayed consistent, that's a 25 per game score point per game score type person. Like that's a pretty damn good second option. And he also was able to show flashes of being able to take over games in the bubble. So if you got that version of Jamal Murray, you guys would have been set. I mean, absolutely set. And I think I would have picked you guys to go out of the West. But I believe Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic were the driving forces of that team. And I believe with one of them being out, they can no longer be considered contenders. Although I do see them holding on to their third seed. They might slip to the fourth. But I see them staying around 3-4. The next team I wanted to talk about is the Utah Jazz. And man, they've been good this season. They've lost 15 games for the entire year and are on pace to get 39% from three on over 40 attempts per game. That is ridiculous. If you like average that out to like that's amazing. That's amazing. If you average it out, like what? You were usually run an eight, nine man rotation, and you're averaging over 43s a game. I think it's 40, almost 41 at this point. You'll eight threes a game. That's on average like six threes, five, six threes a game, almost six threes a game, which 39% on six threes a game is a pretty damn high percentage. And I believe that that is going to translate into the playoffs to some degree, but not to a full degree. Because 
three-point shooting always dips in the playoffs. We've seen it time and time again. Unless you're someone like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Paul George. Well, not really Paul George. Pandemic P, baby. But anyway, unless you're an elite, elite shooter, your, your percentage tends to drop in the playoffs because the game slows down. And when the game slows down, defenses clamp up. So I believe that the three-point shooting is not going to be as effective. And that is how the Utah Jazz have won a lot of these games. So for that reason, I do believe they are going to be a pretender this year. Even though they do have the frontrunner for Defensive Player of the Year in Rudy Gobert. No, it has not been Simmons. I know he's had a great year defensively. But Rudy Gobert's impact is still so 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 high on that end and they're not going to be able to give MVP to anyone on the Jazz so they're going to give Defensive Player of the Year to Rudy Gobert and then Sixth Man of the Year they also had the leader for in Jordan Clarkson but they don't have that person with the it factor in my opinion. Donovan Mitchell may be the best player in the NBA that doesn't have the it factor and yes I'm aware that Devin Booker also exists and I believe him and Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons are tied for the most talented players to not have an it factor. So, yes, I understand there are players as good, if not better, than Donovan Mitchell. However, they're all really relatively the same, and I don't believe any of them have the it factor. Now, moving on, with that said it means they don't have anyone that they can really like truly trust that's on a superstar level when it comes down to it. And no, they're not the 2015 Hawks. The fifth best player on that team, there's an argument that they are better than the best player on the Hawks. Like th that year, like there's an argument that Jordan Clarkson is better than anyone on the Hawks team. I don't necessarily know if I would agree with the argument, but there's an argument to be made there. However, that Hawks team had four players that were Jordan Clarkson. And imagine having four Jordan Clarksons on a team in terms of skill and talent. That's one of the reasons they did so well. And then the talent drop off from there wasn't that big. They just had a really, really deep team. But regardless, the Jazz are way more talented than the Atlanta Hawks. They just don't have a superstar with that it factor, so they're going to be a tough out to anyone they face. However, a superstar, I do believe, will defeat them in the end, and that will be their downfall. Next, I wanted to talk about the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns are the second seed in the West. They have one loss less, or more, my apologies, one loss more, than the Utah Jazz at the current moment. And they're playing really, really well. And except for if you ask a lot of people, you could hear their name, the name of the Phoenix Suns be as low as number six in the West, behind the two LA teams, behind the, behind the Jazz, behind the Lakers, not Lakers, my apologies, behind the Nuggets, and then also behind the Mavericks. But I don't see it that way. 
I see them being a contender for a lot of reasons. First off, CP3 has that it factor. When it's clutch time, you can give him the ball and he's got it. He can do it. We've seen it time and time again, whether that was with the Clippers, the Rockets, or the Thunder. And yes, last year's playoffs did not end the way you would hope for it to end. However, that's not really Chris Paul's fault. That is Billy Donovan's fault. There's no reason you have Gallo shooting those technicals or technical, I don't remember if it was two or one. But anyway, there's no reason you have Gallo shooting those free throws and there's no reason you run that inbounds play they ran at the final play of the game. You give Chris Paul the ball and you let him work. Regardless, this shows CP3 has it and he's had it. So I believe when the game comes down to it, if Monty Williams is smart, he will give Chris Paul the ball and Chris Paul will create. On the other hand, they also have one of the best young players, if not the best young player in the league, in Devin Booker. Additionally, their third best player in DeAndre Ayton has only been getting better and better as the year has progressed. And then their supporting cast has been absolutely amazing during this year. The Miles Bridges and Dario Saric have really blossomed and become their own player during the season. And then players like Javon Carter play their role perfectly. And you have defensive stoppers everywhere with Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, Javon Carter, and Miles Bridges, just to name a few. This allows you to match up really well with any team in the league, both defensively and offensively. For example, if you're playing the Lakers, you can stick Miles Bridges on LeBron and Aiden on Anthony Davis. Yes, Aiden isn't the best defender in the world, but he is a plus defender now, and he's a big body you can throw, and he will hold his own versus Anthony Davis. And then Additionally, if you play the Clippers, you can throw Jay Crowder and Miles Bridges on PG and McClaw. And then you have CP3 as well as DeAndre Aiden, who can both work, as well as Devin Booker, who can work as well and try to do their best to score. What you're really going to get, as I said, is DeAndre Aiden who's going to be able to eat against whatever center they have on the roster that they're trying to use to defend him, whether that be Boogie, whether that be Zubac, or any other center in the league that they'll sign. There's just not a center on their roster talented enough to hold DeAndre Aiden. And I believe if Chris Paul plays it right, he can use DeAndre Aiden and make him have a great series. Then if you play someone like the Brooklyn Nets, you are able to guard KD, Kyrie, and James Harden with the likes of Chris Paul, Miles Bridges, and Jay Crowder. And then you have DeAndre Ayton, who can, again, eat in the absence of any real sinner. Because even though Nick Claxton, Claxton, my apologies, 
is a good defending center. He doesn't necessarily have the body weight to abuse, not abuse, my apologies, to make sure that he doesn't get abused by DeAndre Ayton if DeAndre Ayton uses his size because if DeAndre Ayton uses his size against Nick Claxton, it's over. And you add that to the fact that Devin Booker can go off for 30 at any given night and Chris Paul can go off for 30 and 20 any given night and you have a really scary, scary team in a team that I would consider a contender right now. Those are all the teams I really wanted to talk about in this segment. Because other than that, it's all pretty cut and dry. Both LA teams are contenders, and that's pretty much it for the West. And then in the East, it's just the top three seeds. The Nets, the Bucks, and the 76ers. No other team is a contender. No other team is really even a dark horse. I know the Boston Celtics have been good lately, but they're not... They're still not a cohesive team. Neither Jalen Brown nor Jason Tatum play off each other. So it's really hard to be like next level when your team isn't able to play off each other at an elite level. And the Boston Celtics just fail to do that. Other than that, like there are no teams that really are contenders or pretenders. Like it's pretty cut and dry other than that, as I said. So those were all the teams I really wanted to cover for this segment. I want to reiterate, though, that the Clippers are a contender. Yes, they choked the 3-1 lead, but that does not change the fact they have two of the best two-way players in the league, a great supporting cast, and they just have that feeling to them that all contenders do. So please stop saying that they're not a contender because they are. And saying otherwise is foolish. Finally, I wanted to talk about the NFL and really movement in the NFL and how that's shaping out to be as time moves forward. I talked about this a little bit at the at the beginning of the Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson trade rumors. And then those died down a little bit due to various things, most of which I do not want to get into, especially when it pertains to Deshaun Watson because those allegations are very serious and if they turn out to be true, that's very bad. However, if they don't turn out to be true, then that's also very bad for completely different reasons. So overall, it's the movement in the NFL has gone in a different direction than what I was originally thinking at the beginning of this offseason. At the beginning of this offseason, I was thinking there was going to be a radical change in the way we see and view players in the NFL in the coming years. However, as time has worn on, it's become more and more clear to me that this change is going to happen more gradually than I first thought. Because we have seen some of, it, some of that with the likes of Tom Brady moving, with players like Antonio Brown moving. However, there were extenuating circumstances with those players. 
but I believe as time's going to go on, you're going to get players who are really going to break the mold, and I believe it's going to happen more and more often. I believe you're going to eventually get to the place that the NBA is at right now where player movement is pretty free, and the players are in control of their destiny for the most part. For example, they just, before LeBron, you didn't really see that much player movement. There weren't like that many different players who really felt like they could move. You knew that there were certain instances of that occurring, but they were rare and they were very extenuating. However, after LeBron left the Heat, or not left the Heat, left the Cavaliers, then it became more and more common for players to express their dissatisfaction with the team, become more about themselves, and also be more vocal about what they wanted. And this allowed for more player movement in the NBA. And I believe the same thing is going to happen in the NFL. I just think it's going to happen more gradually because the way the structure of NFL contracts work, it's going to be a lot harder to endorse that movement on the player's side. So I think it's going to be more and more gradual. First, you'll see what we're seeing right now, which is what seems like an increase in players holding out until they get more money, until they get contract extensions, such and such. But you won't see many of those players actually move on. Like, you saw Melvin Ingram do it and Le'Veon Bell do it, but they both were... They both were never the same after they held out. So it's going to discourage people of high caliber from holding out for the entire season. However, as time goes on, the holding out is going to continue to increase. There are going to be bumps in the road, but it's going to continue to increase. And then we're going to start seeing players demand trades more more frequently. I think, really, if you're thinking about it, Sean Watson is... The first person I can really think about that has demanded a trade. There have been players before that I know of that asked for a trade or were like, hey, it would be great if I could be traded. Players like Russell Wilson, for example, who were like, hey, if you're not going to fix this, I would like to be traded. But that's different than I demand to be traded and I will not play for you if you do if you do not trade me like that is vastly vastly different than yeah please can I please be out of here so i think that you're going to see more and more players demand trades like Deshaun Watson did and then as that goes on then you're going to finally see more and more people going into free agency and not being franchise tagged. Because I think what's going to end up happening is a lot of teams are going to realize that franchise tagging players are not going to be worth it anymore because the discrepancy between like the best of the best's paycheck and the average paycheck is getting larger and larger every year. And now franchising a quarterback is a lot more ridiculous than it was five years ago. Franchising a quarterback five years ago was so much easier. Like, 
there have been so many deals over the past five years for quarterbacks that has set the new record. Been the highest paid quarterback ever. That's happened like four or five times in the last five years alone. So franchise tags are going to become less and less of a viable option. So you're going to see more and more players enter free agency. And when that happens, you're going to see more and more players being moved at the deadline because if they don't want to be there and they've expressed that they don't want to be there and franchise tagging them is not worth it, then you're going to get them to be moved to a team that is really looking to contend and, and get back assets in return. So I think over the next five to 10 years, I'd say it's probably going to be closer to 10, we're going to see this shift start occur more and more. And by year 10, I think it's going to be really evident how much the league has changed and how much player movement and player accountability and player loyalty has changed in the NFL. Thank you so much, Smash fans, for sticking with me to the end. If you have any questions about this episode or want to talk about anything remotely sports-related, feel free to call or text me at the number listed in the blog contact page. Or you can also email me using the email that is given. If you want to go to the blog because you don't know where that is and you're listening to this on YouTube, Spotify, or Anchor, you go to the description of those videos and you click the link that says pdsmashsports.com and then go and scroll down all the way at the end of the homepage and there it will have a contact form that you can fill out, you can subscribe, you can also text me using the number as I said or email me. Then other than that, as I said, I really just want to thank each and every one of you for coming out. And if you really want to support me, I would love, love for you to subscribe to my blog, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and follow my Spotify. And if you want to hear my thoughts on anything sports-related, please email me letting me know, and I'll add it to an episode or add it to an article. And if you want to listen to my previous articles or previous podcasts, just click that section in the website and you can go and listen through all 26 episodes. Thank you once again for coming out and until next time, PD Smash, signing off. They can say what they want now Cause we'll be screaming now We can be